0: thanks for joining us today. You are listening to one of our partner shows. It is the Tour Coach Podcast with Tony Ruggiero. He has some phenomenal guests on talking about teaching tour pros. He'll have his players on. It's always a great show. Today was another great episode. I want to share that with you here on the Golf Science Lab Podcast. Let's get into it.
1: So sitting in here joining me on the tour coach I've been trying to coordinate this for a little while but uh, I can't blame him for having a busy schedule at the super nice place he's hanging out now Chris Mason one of the really good guys done a hell of a job out there coaching I'd say on the PGA Tour but this job you've done with Norman on the Corn Ferry Tour and you've got so many girls playing great man you're all over the place how the heck are you Chris?
0: I'm <laughs> good mate I'm glad we finally managed to make this work and Honored to be on the podcast. I listen to them all and um, learned so much from you and all the coaches that you have on. So I'm just honored that uh, I can do this now.
1: Well, I appreciate that. It's you know, it, it started a few years back when I ended my XM radio show and stuff. And, I, and you know, one of the things that I always loved doing the radio was I felt like it was huge for my development. Because I had a front row seat every week. I talked to three or four great teachers, you yeah. know. And I remember early on, you know, like Sirius XM and and PGA Tour Radio was a huge help because nobody knew who the hell I was. I mean, I wasn't. You know, I mean, I wasn't I didn't teach anybody (laughs) that anybody would know or some college kids. But I had all of a sudden I started being able to sit and talk with like Jim McLean's and Mike Adams and, you know, those types of folks. And and my longtime mentor, Hank Johnson, was always such a help. And then so when the radio ended, I was like, man, I I don't want to quit sitting and talking to people that are great at what they do. Yeah. You know, and so it's kind of morphed into this thing where. I mean, I think some of them, this would be way better for me if we were doing this in the evening somewhere and I was drinking wine <laughs> with you, but, but we'll have to settle for a Monday morning. But talk a little bit about your journey as a teacher. That's always my favorite thing. I think I can learn and everybody can learn a lot from people's journeys, you know, like yeah. where they started, how they get up there. I think so many people, I get these young teachers that, you know, that email or text and they, I don't know that they understand that, like, you don't just end up teaching a bunch of real good players. You got to start somewhere and there's a journey and we can learn from everybody's journey. So let's talk about yours.
0: Yeah, I agree. I was actually on a FaceTime last night with a young coach from Australia. And, you know, I really admire these young guys who, you know, will come and watch me teach or like will call and ask for information. I was so nervous about doing that with some really good coaches and I wish I had done that more in my development. I kind of did everything on my own. I was never through any of these systems, the McLeans or the Leadbetters or anything like that. I just mm-hmm. just kind of searched out information on my own and never really asked anybody. And I, I look back now and regret that. I wish I had asked for help and I think I would have learned much quicker. And I think that's what's great about podcasts like this is you're broadcasting the information from these coaches, these tour coaches and great coaches around the country that got a lot of information that can, you know, within an hour or so, you know, give them some secrets that are going to really get that base Mm. knowledge. good. So I kind of just did it all on my own. You know, my story is very typical, I would say, for a coach, you know, failed mini tour player, hurt my back, (laughs) never really. I look back now and I was like, I I wasn't good enough. I was a really good player as a junior. Like I was a good college player without any wins or anything like that. But turned pro just because I felt like that's what I should have done. And by, you know, the second year, I'd have the mini tour guys come and ask me for help. So there's no videos, no phones back then, but I just had a really good eye for the swing and a good eye for the ball flight. You know, so, you know, I'm doing two, three hours on the range with my mini tour people, (laughs) even though I'm even though I'm playing against them, you know, and I'm playing rounds being like, man, I hope Dave and Joe and Bill, I hope they're playing really good today with the information that I gave them yesterday. And I realized quickly that I was in the wrong business. And I, I, although I'm very, very competitive, I just really enjoyed helping people get better more than necessarily I enjoyed the grind of me trying to get better. So that's
1: interesting. That's very much mine. I was, you know, played at a small college, played well at that level. I think, like lots of folks, you know, when you're pretty good at a club, you always have somebody that wants to give yeah. you some money and thinks you can make it right. But then my daughter, Abby, came along and it was time to work. But, I think because I was around a bunch of guys that were really good in Alabama, like, I think I just knew I wasn't good enough. Like, even though, you know, and also I was so fortunate to be around guys like Mark Wood and Hank Johnson and Wayne Flint early on, where I saw them as coaches and teachers. I saw the impact they had on people. I just liked the coaching aspect of it and teaching aspect of it more. I think like what you said is similar because, but there's lots of people that get into it just because they couldn't yeah. play, and it's another alternative. But there's there are people we're a little yeah. weird that <laughs> just yeah. enjoy helping people more than playing and competing. So yeah. anyway, so you so see, you get into coaching, and you got these mini tour guys. Now, what the
0: heck you do? I uh, I can basically stopped playing and tried to do some stock trading picks and stuff like that from one of the members, which is <laughs> which is another story over a beer, I think, Tony. But. You know, long story short, I'd go and stop trade in the morning, you know, on, in the West Coast from like 5 a.m. to 12. And then yeah. I'd go to the local range in my board shorts and flip flops, you know, no teaching stuff at all. And I would I would start teaching people just off, just off how I saw their swing and started having a ton of success. And then the mini tour guys would tell the country club guys, and before I knew it, I'm doing 25 hours a week at the local driving range just sitting in a chair. That's not a bad thing. No, I, and I loved it. You know, I'm <laughs> charging uh, 40 bucks an hour or something like that. They've got to buy their own balls, but yeah. it's just buddies hanging out. The problem came is I was starting to do more lessons than the other guys at the, at the local driving range, and the general manager came over and said, hey, like, you know, are you Chris Mason? I said, yeah. He said, you can't teach her. Like, you're, doing, you're here a lot. I said, oh, is there any chance I could possibly teach her? I just love it. I don't want to give it up. And he, he says, there's no room. And luck by have it, literally the next day, it was the day before my wedding, a guy from La Costa where I originally played, he says, hey, I heard you've got some, some good players. Do you want to come and start the La Costa Golf Academy? And then that's that's where yeah. it all began. And it was a great place for me to kind of start my development. I was 26 or seven at the time. A year after I got there, Jim Flick had to see, teach there for a year as the kingdom was getting done. So Jim was a big proponent to my teaching, really, and liked how I taught. And kind of introduced me to a little bit of a different world, obviously. So you know, I was very fortunate to be around some, some great coaches and, you know, up at TPI with Greg Rose and Dave, they they've been influential, James Seekman. So and, you know, you know, I have that saying, you know, great players make great coaches. It's not the other way around. And I've been very fortunate to be in a place in San Diego where there's a lot of real very, very good players. And I got I got a chance with IK Kim when I was young. She's twenty one or twenty two at the time. Really motivated, moving up in the world rankings. I think she was 60 in the world at the time. You know, I was having a little hard time with her swing. I just happened to be at the right time, the right place, with the right information. And she just, she went on a tear. I think she finished in the top five in five straight majors, won twice. You know, started to take me out there. And, you know, then, then things get rolling from there. So, you know, we've all been very fortunate. But I, I was saying to the chat last night, you've got to be ready for your moment. You know, do, are you armed with the are you armed with the information and the skill communication skills when you get your chance to take the opportunity? And I think I think I was fortunate at the time that I was and, and maybe just the fix that she needed is exactly what I had, but it worked out for me and, and and then you just keep learning on the job as you know, you just keep trying to learn and keep getting better as you go.
1: From where you started and you started going out there, has what you teach changed much? Have you changed your thoughts on things? Uh, is it still pretty much the same, but more refined? Kind of, you know, uh, I, I would say for mine, I always like, you know, I think my stuff stayed fairly similar, but my understanding of it has gotten yeah. better. And maybe some of the things I always thought were correct, but I didn't really know. Now I've figured out maybe why they were yes. you know, as I, you know, and I, I think a lot of that's just technology. We got yeah. the ability to measure some stuff that we didn't have a clue. We just kind of knew. But what about you? Has it changed? Is it developed? I mean, is it just yeah. refined or what about Yeah. I mean, I, I always thoughts?
0: have a saying, you know, I, I'm 40 now and I, I, I look back at that 35-year-old Chris and be like, he thought he knew everything and he knew nothing, right? And I said the yeah, same thing yeah. from 30 to 35. So like these kids coming up, I'm like, yeah, you know a lot, but I promise you in five years, you're going to look back and realize you didn't know anything. And I'm sure I'll do the same when I'm 45. So... <laughs> I I, oh, wait yeah, to your 51. <laughs> I can't imagine someone like Butch who's seen it all, you know, who, and, and learned mm-hmm. so many lessons. And, you know, I think that obviously comes through experience. It comes through self-reflection, which I try and do after every day. I, I go back through each lesson and be like, could I have done anything differently or better that would have helped communicate that better? So I'm, I, I think I've always had that process in place where I'm, I'm trying to self-reflect and improve as rapidly as I possibly can just so again, when the opportunity arises, I can be better than that next time, you know? So
1: I think one of the best lessons we can give players and teachers is to always have the idea that you don't know anything. (laughs) You know, if you go into everything with this idea that I don't know very much, I think you could, you, you, you find out you learn a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you, You know, as you and I have had conversations, you know, it's you try and learn from the coaches out there, you try and pick players' brains and, you know, you just, it's tough for a coach who isn't out there on tour, who's privy to the kind of information that you and I have been lucky enough to have because it's accelerated my learning curve, just being around Mm -hmm. these great players and asking great coaches, like, what it is that they do. Now, obviously, in the information ages, there's more information out there for people, but I think... I feel very, very fortunate to have learned so much from the players that I've had.
1: Talk about some of the things you've learned from players. I can say that, you know, I learned probably more from Lucas Glover than he learned from me in my five years with him. A coach and a player at that ability, you know, Smiley Kaufman, a lot of the short game stuff, you know, that he did from that he learned from James Siegman. you know, so much. In fact, I tell folks all the time, you know, the stuff I learned from the Hank Johnsons and stuff on short game was obviously great and was a great foundation for me. But most of the stuff I've kind of learned about short game has been from watching the best players in the world yeah. out on tour. Yes. Like that's to me where like you just kind of watch and, and it isn't, I don't even know if they tell you stuff. <laughs> it's just watching how that, you, know, yeah. you know, you know you yeah. what I'm saying? Like you, and sometimes you ask them, they can't even nice. tell you, they just do it. But, you know, you you sit there, you like watch how they handle lies and, you know, watch how they play different shots and, and those things. To me, that's one of the best learning experiences out there. It's just watching how the best players in the world, from the guys, the girls, play different yeah. shots around the greens. Short game stuff, to me, is phenom- Is amazing to watch the best players yes. in the world do.
0: Yeah, and and I think, um, you know, I've been on the LPGA now for, I think, 13 or 14 years. PGA Tour, I think, for nine. So, you know, when Brendan Steele came, you know, he's got a weird move. and. Mm-hmm. I, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I'd be like, everybody's got to swing it like Adam Scott. And that's the only way you're going to be a top player in the (laughs) world. You know, Tiger's doing his thing with his perfect swing. And you're like, wow, this is the way, like that has to be the way, you know, and all of a sudden you get this guy coming on with this goofy grip and goofy swing. And, you know, I realized quickly, I'm like, I better figure it out here quickly because I'm going to get found out because clearly this is not the only way. And over time, as you know, you know, you've got the top 20 or 30 players in the world right now, and there's more goofy swings than there are textbook swings now. So you better know your stuff, and you better know your matchups in order to help someone of that level. And that seeps down into other players. The main thing, Tony, that I've learned, though, is how to put a tournament round together. And it's, it's less about how you swing it. And these players are so great about producing a score over 72 holes, not just on one hole. Like, how over the course of 72 holes am I going about around? How am I, like, where am I aiming on certain shots? Am I shaping different shots? How am I playing certain lies? How am I, you know, Brendan's another good example. He's got three different shots off the tee. He's got a, he's got a, his normal draw. He's got a high bomb cut and he's got a low squeeze fade, depending on situations as to how he, how he feels at that time and how the, how the wind's working or how the shape is. IK Kim was just incredible at controlling distances and amazing at wedges. All of them play within themselves, which I would say juniors and college players never do. You know, you, as you know, you go, and, you go and walk the line at um, right. a PGA Tour event and everybody stripes it, as you know. Like It's not like you and I are standing there fixing snap hooks. Like Everybody hits no. it good, right? So, but then on a PGA tour, they all hit it incredible and they're taking the most conservative lines to pins, you know, and then you go to a college event, they don't hit it as good and they're trying to hit a four iron over a trap to a tuck right pin and it's like, what the hell are you doing? And junior golf's a step worse. (laughs) It's a step worse, yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I love what you talked about, like with Brendan and, you know, hey, here's a guy who's different, right? And so for me, you know, heck coming up developing i mean i learned to get it on plane and get people to get it on plane and probably as Trackman came out it was a little more zeroed yeah. out right you know swing it a little more left leave the face square so then uh you know then along comes like somebody like lucas who wants to get yeah. a big draw right so it was great for me because i had to step out of my box and really yeah. think Right? Like, okay, how the hell do I do this? Right? You know, and how do I make it fit with the stuff I've always thought? So, when you got somebody like Brendan, mm-hmm. what was the process for How did you figure out how to do it and not screw it up? Because that's, I always think that one of the best marks of a great teacher is that maybe you haven't made every tour player that's come to you yeah. great, but you haven't ruined it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right? But there are yeah. people, and I mean, this isn't the podcast, but there's people that have had success but have also made some people way yes. worse. Yeah. Right? So how do you, I mean, like, to me, that's always my fear. Like, okay, how do I at least not make this yeah. guy worse? Yeah. You know? So where did you start and how did you do this? Because you haven't, you've made him way yeah. better. How did you yeah. go through Yeah. And,
0: I, you know, Rick Smith's on our team. You know Rick well. Rick's just an incredible yeah. human being and an amazing coach. And, and him and I, you know, we, you know i i spend a lot more time with brendan than he does but like we're we're all on the same team and learning from each other the whole time. Mm-hmm. so you know i've learned so much from from rick and i i recommend any coaches to go and spend some time with rick because he's incredible Rick's brilliant. um but basically you know when i'm looking at at what brendan does i'm trying to pick out the similarities between everybody on tour so i basically went this is probably eight nine years ago i'm like okay if a guy's got a strong grip versus a weak grip, if they're a high-arm player like a Dustin Johnson or low-arm like a Kuchar, if, if the face is shut or face is open, what are the similarities between all of these players? There's got to be some things in common that make them really great ball strikers. And The only thing that I could see as a similarity was that basically from hip high, I don't know what P it is, I'm not a P teacher, but P6 mm-hmm. or something. You know, basically from hip high to hip high through, they've all, for the most part, got the club face square on the arc. You've got some body rotators and you've got some arm flippers. I would say when I was doing a lot of video study, I would go to Tori and and video every player there for for days and then go and study it. I would say in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, I would say it was a 70-30 split from like a hand arm release, like a Tiger or VJ to a body release that would be more of a Padraig Harrington and then over time it's become more of a body release now i would say it's probably flipped it's probably 70 30 70% body releases where the face is square Hovland's a really great example versus uh you know i would say an arm rotator someone like a uh, uh, John Rahm would be a good example obviously he's got a very weak grip flexes his left wrist and then and then releases it pretty hard so So, you know, through all the studying I could do, again, it was all on my own just through just trying to figure out through common sense. I'm like, that's the only similarity that I could figure out. So that's really helped my teaching tremendously because I'm just trying to find the matchups to help that happen more consistently, you know. And at the end of the day tony we're, you know i'm 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 teaching some some amateurs now here at national which is different for me but at the end of the day we're solving for three things for the most part someone slices it too much someone hooks it too much or they they don't make good contact and it, you know the fact of the matter is it's whether you're the best player in the world or the, a beginner you're fixing for those three things so as a teacher you better have a lot of tools in your box to fix those three and then as the level becomes better, you need to be more refined, you need to be more measured, you need to be very careful about what it is that you do before you start changing stuff. But again, you're only trying to help that person change one of those three things for the most part. I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing, yeah. as you know, but for the most part.
1: Well, I mean, I, but I think it's, I always tell folks, you know, when I teach lots of juniors, one of the things I want to talk to you about, because I you know, you teach lots of good young players. That's yeah. my passion. I think that's one of the great things that we could do. And I still love teaching, heck, you know, people of all skill levels. And they'll always say, oh, you'd," they'll call you they've been recommended. I want to come see you. But, you know, it's going to be different for you because I'm not yeah. a tour player, right? And I'm like, well, I'm really still trying to get you to do the same basic yeah. concepts. Now, you may not be able to do it as fast or as precise and as much of the mm-hmm. time. But we're still kind of trying to get you to do as close to that shit as we can. exactly. Right? You know? And, uh, you know, so I've always just tried to teach people the same, obviously, different levels and abilities. But, you know, I don't pull out different information, you know,
0: just because the guy's a 15 year No, we're all trying to move in the same direction, right? So it's, you know, I've I've got to say, you know, the players that I've worked with, I've been very fortunate the last seven or eight years in, in order to to, you know, the only players I've been seeing, you had to be over the age of 12 and must have shot in the 60s in a tournament. So I've been very, very narrow with who it is that I wanted to spend time with because, you know, I'm very competitive and I love love working with that type of player. You know, I want them to win. I want them to be great. So that's kind of where I've narrowed it. But I, when teachers come and watch me, I say to them, like, my job's very easy because within three swings, the person I'm working with can do what it is that I want them to do. But my job's very difficult, too, because within three swings that player's going to see if I'm full of shit or not. So because within three swings, he's going to do what I've asked him to do. So, you yeah. know, at that level, we we have to be right for the most part. Now, are we 100 percent? You know, no, but I think we're betting a pretty high percentage. What's different as you move more down into the amateurs is you know i think i think for the most part i know what i'm doing but now i you know working with some more amateurs this summer you need a bigger toolbox to communicate and help them feel the differences so that's where that job becomes more difficult it's not that you necessarily where well, you have to be right but you need a bigger toolbox for the communication it's more difficult to work with someone who who doesn't have great hand eye who isn't athletic who isn't practicing six times a week you know so, so that right. job it has its own challenges and difficulties too, you
1: know, especially like with the amateur and even the younger junior coming up I mean they physically aren't able to yeah. do some of the things that a tour player that's in front of you can yes. do right. That's why I think you mentioned the the folks you know at t p i right I mean that's why I think it's become a big part. That's been some of my biggest later influences on my yeah. teaching after the the early stuff was. Heck, I had no clue what people's bodies yeah. could or couldn't do. I mean, I knew I was a little fat. I just thought everybody <laughs> could move, you know, move from here, right? But everybody's different. So talk about junior golf. I mean, you got a lot of great juniors. Uh, I mean, I've, you know, you folks that work yeah. with you, I've followed you. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, developing young players?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, you know, I look back now and I've been very, very fortunate. Like, obviously, being in San Diego, it's the mecca for junior golf. People yeah. have money there. There's more tournaments there than anywhere else in the world, including Junior Worlds is there. just was there this last week. We've got the three manufacturers, well, four manufacturers there, have their headquarters there. You've got TPI there and so many great trainers. So a lot of the players, when they come to me, they already have a club deal, so they're getting fit properly at, at the headquarters. They've already got a trainer, and if I... If I ever need any help, I can call up Greg Rose and say, hey, can you take a look at this place? So I've got massive resources at my disposal, which I'm extremely grateful for. But in terms of the junior development, you know, it's very interesting. I'm getting off topic here, Tony, but I'd love your opinion on it. But it's very interesting what Bryson's doing right now, because if what he does works, which is getting stronger, a little bit bigger, hitting it absolutely crazy miles, if he starts winning and dominating a lot with doing what he's doing, that is probably going to change how I teach my juniors. Now, at the moment, I, you know it's always the long game I, always the, sorry, the long-term vision for me, it's, and I give them the fundamentals and the skills to get as far as they possibly want in this game and hopefully achieve their dreams, whatever those dreams are. Now that's for me, is a repeatable swing. It's the short game skills. It's being a great putter inside ten feet. It's hitting it really far. You know, can they shape the shots? Can they flatten them down? Can they change the numbers? You know, I want them to have the skills technically and, and performance wise in order to do what it is they want to do. If what Bryson does works, that's probably going to change how I how I view and structure my junior practices. And it's scary. I'll be honest. Like. I don't want to look at a parent and be like, hey, you know, now we got to, he's 12 years old. We got to bulk him up a little bit. We got to get him in the gym more than he's doing. And, and, we, and he needs to be swinging it really, really hard five times a week. Like that to me yeah. is scary. And it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing, right? I think what, it's just, it's just different. different. I think what Bryson's doing is incredible. I have so much time and respect for what he's done for the game. Mm-hmm. But if it works, I'm scared going forward, <laughs> yeah. But what's interesting to me
1: about what he's done and him and Chris and Mike Shy they've done is, yeah, I mean, he was already a great player, yes. right? He was a top five player in the world yeah. or so when it, when he started this. You know, most guys that really go make a huge change and try to do something, it's because they're yeah. fringe, yeah. right? And they, and they got to figure out a way to stay. So, you know, to me, yeah, that's where there's just huge respect for it. You know, I somewhere before that, but you know, we all seen the game move towards power is more and more important. Certainly, I'm 51, and you know, when I was coming up, you had guys that could bomb it, but you had guys that could still really play that didn't hit it very far. There were a lot of ways yeah. to do it. I don't know that those guys that can't get some. Sp- I don't know that if you're 14 now and you're not going to be able to hit it anywhere, that there's going to be much of a place for you yeah. as a player yeah.
0: in 50 completely years agree or 10 years. Okay. Yeah.
1: You know, and so I've tried to, through some of the stuff I do with Colby Tuye or Morgan Hale that works with me on the fitness side, introduce that aspect to juniors way earlier than I ever would have used to. Yeah. Right. And I love what you said about giving them something repeatable. So I try to develop their pivots as early as I can and then let somebody like Colby or Morgan give them the information to be able to do it faster and stronger and better as they grow so i I, you know certainly the wave of length that's come along like with bryson has made me introduce it at an earlier age than i ever would have and i think like we're doing that not just me and you but a lot of people like when i was coming up i mean we never brought fitness in at this level to juniors that were 13 before right you know so but
0: it's going to be interesting to see how we how we keep you know because there's it's crazy how far. It is crazy. Going. And 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 let me backtrack a little bit. Like the length part is still a priority. Like I'm still saying you guys, mm-hmm. you got to hit yeah, it hard. Sure. I'm not saying, I suppose the scary part is do I, like the whole bulking up and, and getting in the gym so early, like putting that yeah. kind of, nah, putting that kind of stress on their body so early. That's, that's what scares me. But, but hitting the ball far to your point is a non-negotiable now. If you want to play good, right? It's a non-negotiable. You have to. So, you know, I was yeah. talking to Falls about this year, and he was like, "Hey, I think you know it's going to be shorter, shorter careers coming up. You know, guys will get out. They're absolutely yeah. smashing it. They'll have a career from twenty-three to twenty-eight, and hopefully make a ton of money. Then their body's probably going to break down, and that'll be that, like an NFL career. And it's it's very, I mean, it's very very interesting.
1: Which is, I think, why some of the some of the the ones that are going to live, mm-hmm. right? You know, whether people agree in this, like that's the reason to go try to make that guaranteed money. Because if you're going to go at it that hard, I mean, I I, I think in general, the players aren't staying as healthy as long now as they used to. I mean, I think you see more you see more guys having to have procedures and different things and sitting out than there used to be. And I mean, I don't have a scientific study, but from just watching the tour, you can tell that they get hurt earlier. And so I think you're, I think you're spot on about like an NFL player. Yeah. I mean, guy goes to the NFL and he plays five, six years. He's had, you know, six
0: years as a running back. He's had a hell yeah. of a career. Yeah. I mean, I've got two guys now, right. Percy and Steele, you know, Scotty's is 14 years on tour and, and Brendan's 12, I think. I mean, that's really long careers, but what's, what's happening yeah. now is, you know, you hit forty and you've got wife and kids and, You know, you've got these 20-somethings who are young and motivated and hitting it far and in shape and getting in the gym. And whether you're getting injured or not, like, eventually you're going to get phased out because you couldn't possibly keep that kind of work ethic up. So there's just so many – the standard is so much higher than it was five, ten years ago that you have to be so incredible to make a career out there now. And you and I are trying to get players to that level, but you know we know there's there's some intangibles that not that they can't be taught, but these players have them these intangibles that just make them incredible, and they couldn't tell you what they are or what it is that they did, you know which is shocking we're trying to we're trying to put a roadmap together for these people, but these top players couldn't even tell you what they did to get there in the first place.
1: I agree with what you said about there's there's something about them. I got two young players now, college. One's about to be like where they're a little unorthodox, but they could shoot crazy low. There's just something about them, right, different. And you know they're going to be – or they're at least going to have an opportunity to be successful. And, uh, you know, I remember remember early on when he was teaching Bobby Wyatt when he was in high school, and there was just something about him. I knew that he was going to be better than most people. And the same with Robbie Shelton. Like, there's just – there's just
0: so, and that isn't like necessarily a swing in no. the golf club thing. It's just, you, you just, just know, know, right. I've got three know. kids now, mm-hmm. Norman Jong, Obviously I've been working with this year, or, you know, phenomenal player before me. I've just, just glad I've oh. helped him kind of out of his, out of his quagmire a little bit. Devin bling was a runner up in the U S amateur and Ricky Castillo and, you know, number one amateur mm-hmm. in the world. And all of them, like you wouldn't, they all swing it differently. They've all got that it factor like they all hit it far and they have magic in their hands and are able to do stuff with the golf yes. ball consistently that a lot of people aren't able to, you know, and I, I tell the story a lot, but Ricky came to me as a 12 year old, I'm giving his brother a lesson and he's chipping around on the chipping green right next to my range. And he's, he's like, he's got a lob wedge and he's like banking it off the tree and flopping it over branches and like trying to, Trying to hit the tree and hook it off the tree and slice it around it with from like four yards, and I'm looking over and looking at this kid and he's spinning it like I've never seen anyone spin it, and I'm like, that's different. Just to have the mind yeah. to even want to contemplate trying stuff like that. Correct. It's, it, I was like, that this kid's different, and he's got a weird move, and he'd be the first to tell you. And it's it's got better, and but it's you know it's efficient and it works, and the guy is a freaking gamer.
1: Then that's what you want, right? That's all you want,
0: exactly, right?
1: All right, last last little piece. How the heck have you ended up teaching at National Golf Links over the summer? I don't feel sorry for you. (laughs) Okay, San Diego part of the year, National Golf Links the other.
0: It's um, it's been an incredible. I've only been here two months now, and obviously, I'm I'm not at liberty to to talk too much about about the club or or the players, obviously, because it's so exclusive, but. It's just been an incredible job and an amazing experience for me, Tony. It's um, you know it's different work for me, but the the quality of the people is is second to none. The golf course is just wildly good. I just it gets better every time I play it, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a funny story. I was just I was at the Players Championship at Sawgrass on the big on that big putting green there outside the clubhouse. And I overheard Rick Smith and Todd Anderson talking about a job. And only as a joke, I said, what job is that? And they said, National's looking for director of instruction. And Steely's like, oh, my God, you should go for this job. And I'm like, what do I want to do teaching at a country club? I love my job. Yeah. I, I, I'm happy. And he said, he said, go for it. I think it would change your life. So I called my wife that afternoon and said, hey, there's a, there's a job in the Hamptons going. What do you think? She goes, oh, go for it. It would be a good adventure if you get it. And that night I was on the call with a board member. He'd, he knew everything about me, looked everything up. And he's like, What do we need to get get you here? And and I told him and he says, Well, let's try and make it happen. The next day I'm on a Zoom meeting with the board. The next day I'm on a <laughs> zoom meeting with the president. And I, I thought I'd got the job. And they said, Oh, congratulations, you're you're part of the final four. We're gonna fly you to Jupiter to do an in-person lesson. They're yeah, I know. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I flew to Jupiter, did a, did a lesson with the president and the chairman, and they had I think they had 150 people apply for the job, really good candidates, came down to me and uh, three other guys, and, and fortunately, I, you know, I got the job, and it's, I think it's, I mean, I, I, this is arrogant. I, I, I think it's turned out to be the best job in golf, to be honest. It's, I mean, it's, no, it's three and a understand. half months. They've treated me so, so well. Which is which is not what I've um, kind of received in California, and you know it, it makes me want to do an incredible job for them. I'm playing more golf yeah. than I've done before, and working hard. But you know, the wife and kids are having fun, and and really, uh, really enjoying my time here. So I've got another two months, I think, and but it's been good. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Chris,
1: one thanks for yeah. sharing all the info and taking the time to sit down with me. I enjoyed. I learned. This little session as well. Uh, hopefully, we'll see each other out there soon. Maybe we can go ahead and grab that beer or glass of wine. Sounds amazing. Thanks so much Take for me buddy.